Welcome to Life Church. We are an ex 242 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through His Word and by His Spirit. Okay, we're going to talk about storms this morning. There's been a lot of storms lately, haven't there? There have been all sorts of strange names. Kieran, Debbie. Next one could be Ethan. That would be great. Ethan the storm. Uh, So we're going to use a passage of scripture that no one has ever read or heard of before. It's Mark chapter 6. It is the incident of uh, the incident. It's the story of Jesus walking on the water. I'm pretty sure you've never heard of this passage of scripture before. Be new to you. (laughs) Mark chapter 6. If you have your Bibles turned, they'll be on the screen behind me. It says this, Mark 6 from verse 45, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on the mountainside to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves, their hearts were hardened. This incident appears in three of the Gospels. The four Gospels, if you don't know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all wrote about their experiences with Jesus, and they tend to have different kind of focuses, different perspectives. Um, but this incident of Jesus walking on the water appears in Matthew. Matthew 14 appears in Mark, which we've just read, and appears in John, John 6, I think it is. And they, they, are, they have slightly different things that they say. For example, this one, you will know, if you, if you know anything about this story, you'll know that in one of the narratives, uh, Peter is the one who shouts, Lord, is it you? And then he says, if it is you, tell me to come out to you, which is the craziest, craziest um, kind of confirmation to ask for. If it's you, tell me to come to you. Well, if it isn't, if I wasn't, I would still say come. Ha <laughs> ha, because that would be funny. Uh, but that's what Peter says. So that, the incident with Peter, the, the narrative that fits Peter into this, this story, Mark leaves him out. Mark doesn't say anything about Peter in this. I wonder if they had some beef. If Mark was like, yeah, I'm not, no, sorry, Peter. I'm not putting you in my book. I'm sorry. But I don't think they had any beef. If you look at the book of Mark, Mark is really quick. Mark uses the word immediately more than anyone else. It's like, and then, and then, and then, immediately, then. It's just like he doesn't pause for breath. So I think Mark just wants us to get the point of the story, which wasn't that Peter walked in the water, but that Jesus came to them while they were in the boat. So I think that's important. But we've all, I guess, we've all had experience of being in a storm, And I don't mean an actual storm, although you may have been in an actual storm. I was in a storm once on a ferry crossing over from Dublin, (laughs) and it it was entertaining. It was only entertaining because I didn't feel seasick, and everyone around me did. And people were lying on the floor, 
and it was, it was horrendous, but I was having a great time, unusually. Uh, so we've, we've, we may have experienced an actual storm, but we may have also experienced difficult circumstances in our lives uh, that we can refer to as storms, difficult things that have happened to us that we can refer to as storms. Uh, let me give you a funny kind of silly storm that happened to me once when I was little. I was in my house, and my mom was cooking something. It was a dessert, a Guyanese dessert. And she said very clearly to us, she said, do not touch this. I mean, have we met? Do not touch this, is what she said. So I waited till she left the room, and I was just stirring it and having a look at it, and, uh, and decided to put some of it in my mouth. So that's what I did. So I took it out of the pan, and I put it in my mouth as my mom came back into the room. Now, I want her to not know that I've done this, so I can't say anything. I am in a storm, however, because, because this thing that she was making is basically sugar and coconut with some spices. And so you boil it all up until the sugar caramelizes, and then you put it out until it solidifies, and then you can eat it. So I have a mouth of caramelized sugar, and it, it is stuck to the roof of my mouth because that's what it is. But I can't say anything because I do not want my mom to know because she will go mad. And you don't want to make my mum mad. She's a short but feisty Welsh lady. So all kinds of things can happen when she gets mad. So I'm in a storm. What do I do? I can't do anything. So she looked at me, and I just kind of kept a, a relatively normal face and walked out of the kitchen into the back garden. And I tried to spit the stuff out, but I couldn't because it was stuck to the roof of my mouth. So that kind of ruined my eating experience for about three weeks after that because I found myself in a storm of my own making. Lisa was in a storm once. <laughs> she reminded me of this this morning. My hair didn't always look like this. I want you to know that. I wasn't born looking like this. This is what my hair used to look like back in the day when I was young. So that is Ethan there laughing and smiling at his dad. Oh, it's a beautiful photograph. And that is Caitlin in, uh, in Lisa's belly there. So that's what my hair used to look like. And uh, Lisa would cut my hair every Sunday. So what she would do, get some scissors. She would cut the top. There's another photograph, I think, which shows my hair a bit better. She would cut the top, shape it. Then she'd get the clippers, and she'd do the sides a little bit. And then she'd take the guard off the clippers and do the back of my neck. That's what you're supposed to do. And then one Sunday morning, after she did the back of my neck, she noticed the little bit on the top was a bit untidy, so she decided to have another go at that. But there wasn't a guard on the clippers. She didn't say anything. She just went, and then she stopped. And I didn't think anything of it. And she was really quiet, unusually quiet for Lisa. Really quiet. And then she carried on doing stuff. What she was trying to do, she basically took about a 10p piece of hair off the top of my head. Yeah? So you can see skin, 10p piece. Then she thinks, this is terrible. This is a thought process. This is terrible. I am in a storm. She didn't think she was in a storm, but she definitely was in a storm. I'm in a storm. What am I going to do? I'm going to try and tidy this up. So she tries to grade it to make it fit in with the rest of my hair. Well, it's not going to, is it? It's a chunk of hair that's missing. So now it's about a 50p piece size hole in the top of my head. And I realize something is wrong because of how quiet she is. So I say, what is the matter? And she said, I've got some of your hair. So she went to get a mirror, and she showed it to me. I'm like, woman, what are you doing? She said, I can, I can fix it. I can fix it. 
They said, the only way you can fix this is with super glue and sticking the hair back on, and we're not going to do that, are we? No, so you're going to have to take all of it off, which she didn't want to do. But what, what are my options? I'm not going to go to church. It was a Sunday morning before church. I'm not going to arrive at church with a big chunk of hair missing. So all of my hair went off that Sunday. People were very confused when I arrived at church because they didn't look like they expected me to. And I just said, you know, I've always, want, I've always wanted to have short hair, everyone. Just want you to know, I've always wanted to have short hair. Lisa found herself in a storm. And you may be in those situations where, where you go cold inside and your palms are sweaty. And you're like, what am I going to do? And I think sometimes when we find ourselves in a storm, particularly as people who love Jesus and who follow Jesus, we can have the, and I think, wrong assumption sometimes that we're in a storm and it's our fault. Or we're in a storm and it's because of something that we have done. Now, don't get me wrong. There may be occasions where that is true. And we need to have a sense of discernment and a sense of, I'm going to come to you, God, and ask you what is happening here. Because if it's something I have done, then I need to fix it. So sometimes we can find ourselves in a storm because of something we have done. But sometimes it isn't because of something we have done. The disciples found themselves in a storm, but it was their obedience that led them into the storm. Because Jesus said, go ahead of me to Bethsaida. And so they got in the boat. What were they doing? They were obeying Jesus. They were trying to be difficult or doing something out of the ordinary. They were just doing what Jesus asked them to do. And as they were doing what Jesus asked them to do, they found themselves in a storm. I want to encourage you with this this morning. Sometimes, just following Jesus will lead us into storms. Sometimes there are storms in life that have nothing to do with the way that we behave or the way that we've responded to something or something from our past. Sometimes the storms that we face in life are just because we are obeying Jesus or just because we are alive on the planet. Jesus said, you will have trouble. It wasn't a very encouraging word. He said, you will have trouble. But then he said, it's okay. Take heart. I have overcome the world. So he was saying, these things will happen, but we need to not be people who get lost in the storm to the point where we lose ourselves, but to remember that sometimes our obedience will lead us into the storm. James chapter 1 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. The testing of your faith produces perseverance. We need more perseverance. We need more perseverance. We need to be people who are able to lift our eyes from our circumstances and focus on Jesus and to see what Jesus has said, what Jesus has called us to, who Jesus has called us to be, so that we can be strong. Let perseverance, in verse 4 it says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Their obedience led them into the storm. And difficult things will happen to all of us. It will happen to all of us. 
we will face storms in our lives, whether we are prepared for them or not. <laughs> Fifteen years ago this week, uh, I was in a worship team practice, we're having a band practice, and I got a phone call, and I ignored it, and then I got a phone call, and I ignored it, and then I got a phone call, I thought, I better take this call to my brother. So I went outside from the band practice, took the call, and it was my brother telling me that my youngest brother had been in a car accident. So he couldn't explain anything properly because I think he was just in shock, couldn't explain it to me. So I left the band practice, went home, made some calls, and then what happened was my brother was in a car with his friends. He was in the front seat. His friend was driving. They went too fast around a corner. I went head on into another car that was coming the other way. And my brother, who was 18, died. Now, this is tough. And it was horrible. And it was a storm. And what do you do? So do I sit at home and think, why God? Why has this happened to us? It was horrible. It's horrible to sit with your family and think about the family member that you've just lost. It's horrible to see your parents really broken. And they were really broken. We were all really broken by this. It's not fair. There's no reason for this. There's no explanation for this. There's nothing you could say that says, oh, this makes sense. You know, so when people try to be encouraging and try to be kind and say, you know, well, maybe God wanted him more than, than you did, it's just not, that's just nonsense. It's not helpful. It's just not helpful. But the reality is, it is painful. And sometimes parts of life are painful, and we find ourselves in a storm. And what do we do in that storm? That is the question that we have to answer. When we find ourselves in storms, what do we do? You see, for the disciples in this storm, in the middle of a boat, in the middle of the sea, people who were experienced fishermen, so people who knew how to navigate the waves as it were, and they were in the storm and they were in trouble, they didn't know what to do. But the cool thing was that Jesus turns up to them in a way that they didn't expect. Jesus did not come to them in the way that they expected. He came walking on the water. No one expected that. At no point did anyone ever discuss, hey, do you think Jesus can walk on water? That is not written anywhere. And in fact, they were so surprised that the Bible says they were terrified. This is their Lord and Master. This is the one they've been with for the last few, however, months or years. This is the one that they have left everything to follow. It's Jesus walking on the water, and they are terrified because he did not come to them in a way they expected. And I think sometimes Jesus comes to us in a way that we don't expect. And the problem we have sometimes is we have an expectation of how he should come to us, and that doesn't happen, and we're disappointed. But Jesus does not always meet our expectations. He meets what we need, not what we think we need. And so Jesus arrives walking on the water, and it was such, I'd love to have been there actually, well actually no, too stormy, after the storm, in fact I'd love for someone to record it and then show it to me, yeah, that's better, yeah. It would have been great to watch their faces, to watch their faces change from abject horror and terror to the realization that, oh, it's Jesus. It would have been a great moment, that great transition moment. Jesus may turn up to us in the wise words of a friend, in a text message that we receive. Jesus may turn up to us in the lyrics of a song. He may turn up to us in the revelation that he has always been there. There was a, 
a friend of mine was speaking and he threw, he said this comment and just kind of a throwaway comment and I thought, I'm writing that down because I don't think you realize what a powerful thing that is. And he was talking about how as people we, we get caught up into wanting to be, wanting to have the experience like Paul on the road to Damascus. We want a Damascus road experience where God shows up in power and, and we hear God's voice and we have that, whoa, this is, this is totally God. We want a Damascus road experience. When actually, what really happens to us that we don't realize is instead what we have is we have an Emmaus Road experience where Jesus was walking with the two disciples all the while and they didn't realize he was with them. And it was only till the end when they stopped to break bread that Jesus broke bread and then disappeared and then they realized that Jesus was with them all along. And so maybe we want the big flashy moment, and I haven't got a thing, an issue with big flashy moments. They're really great when God shows up in power and reveals himself in a tangible way. That is great. But we have to also remember that he is always with us, that he is always walking with us, that we have that Emmaus Road experience in that sense. Jesus did not come to them in the way that they expected. The other thing that this passage challenges me with is Jesus did not show up when they expected. The reason I say that is because Jesus says in verse 45, he made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. That suggests to me that he told them to get in the boat and that he was going to meet them there. So in their minds, they're heading to Bethsaida because that's where Jesus said, go on ahead of me. So they're expecting him to be there. That's where they're expecting to meet him. That's the time that they're expecting to meet him. But he shows up in the middle of the lake. <laughs> I bet they were glad that they didn't have to wait until they thought they had to wait. And we have an issue with timing, don't we? We, we want things straight away. When we pray, we want things straight away. We want answers immediately. We've got used to microwave meals and movies on demand and, and everything. When we want it, we can have it. But that's not how God works. It's not how God works. Someone coined the phrase of, of Jesus being a three-mile-an-hour three God. That was a three-mile-an-hour God because that was the pace that they would walk in that time. And there's lots of instances where Jesus, the Bible says, and so they went from here to here. But you don't think about the, the length of time that it took them to get there because Jesus was walking with his disciples about three miles an hour. And there are times where we're, we're so hungry and so desperate and so really want God to break through in a particular issue or for a particular thing. But Jesus doesn't always show up when we expect him to. He shows up when we need him to, when he knows that there's something that we need. And they would have been, they would have been in, this, in this boat in the middle of this storm, maybe asking questions. Where is, we need to get to the other side. We need to get where Jesus is. <laughs> I'm really encouraged. Verse 48 says, He saw his disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And then he sets out walking on the lake to them. He saw them. He saw them in the storm. He saw them struggling. And he walked to them. I love that. Here's the other thing that I love. They're in the boat. They're terrified of the waves. And Jesus comes walking to them on the thing that they are afraid of. They're afraid of the waves, and Jesus is walking on the thing that they are currently afraid of. 
Everything is under his feet. Everything is under his feet. Whatever you're worried about at the moment, whatever you're concerned about at the moment, everything is under his feet. Jesus comes the storm and he gets in the boat and the, the storm is calm. And before he gets in the boat and the storm is calm, he says, he speaks, again, Mark uses the word immediately. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I. In the original Greek, he says, take courage, I am. Which would have triggered thoughts in their Jewish thinking. When Jesus says, I am, it would have reminded them of the stories of Moses in the desert where he has an encounter with God at the burning bush. And God tells him who he is. And God uses that same phrase when Moses says, who shall I tell him is sending me? God says, I am. And Jesus says to them here, take courage. I am. Don't be afraid. And then he climbs in the boat with them. And the, the, the wind calms down. The storm dies down. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but, or if you even knew this, but this incident here where the storm is happening and Jesus walks on the water is right after the feeding of the 5,000. So the feeding of the 5,000 happens, that incredible miracle that the disciples were a part of because Jesus blesses the bread, blesses the fish, he breaks it, hands it to his disciples, and they give it to the people. So they are part of the miracle. They are, they are seeing the thing happen as they're involved in it. So that must have blown their minds. We've just fed over 5,000 people with five loaves and two pieces of fish. And now they're in this boat. They're, they're, in, they're in the storm. Jesus gets into the boat and the storm dies down. And they have a moment. This is the first time, this is the first time, and it is in Matthew, it's in the account in Matthew, not in the account in Mark. But this is the first time that they, the Bible says they worship him. Because one of them says this, when they see the, the waves calm down and the sea calm, when Jesus gets in, they say, this is the Son of God. They'd just seen the feeding of the 5,000. But for some reason, the encounter they had on the sea, they've been, they've been at this for hours, maybe between six and nine hours. They've been rowing on the sea in the storm. And then Jesus gets in the boat, the storm calms, and they have this moment where they realize this is the Son of God. And they bow down and they worship him, it says they worship him. First time it's mentioned that his disciples refer to him as the Son of God and also that his disciples worship him. They saw him walking on what they were afraid of. Two more things. It's interesting to me that they, they didn't end up where they were heading. I don't know if you noticed that. They didn't end up where they were heading. And I think when we read this story, and I did it deliberately, so I apologize for the deliberate thing that I did. I did it deliberately that we, we read the passage and we kind of stop where I stopped, verse 52. Verse 53 says, when they'd crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as, the people, as soon as they got off the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region, carried the sick on mats to wherever he, they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let him touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. So it's kind of like we stop when we get to the storm's done, Jesus is in the boat, great, the story's done. But the story's not done because it says they crossed over and they landed at Gennesaret. That's not where Jesus told them to go. Jesus told them to go to Bethsaida. So I saw that and thought, that's, that's interesting. 
So where is that? So this is where they were. This is, uh, this is Google Maps. <laughs> it's amazing what you can do these days. This is the Sea of Galilee. And on the right there is where the feeding of the 5,000 happened, roughly in that area where they think it happened. Okay? And then Jesus tells them to go to Bethsaida, which is up there. So that was the little short journey that they had to make that they couldn't make because of the storm. And they were trying to make this journey for six to nine hours. And then in verse 53, it says, when they crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret, which is here. It is not where they were headed. It is the other side, the other side of the Sea of Galilee. When you look up Gennesaret, this is how, it, this is how it's described. It was a lovely and fertile land. A lovely and fertile land. That is what's waiting for us at the other end of the storm. A lovely and fertile land. And it may not be where you think you were going, but where you are going is a lovely and fertile land. At no point does Jesus say, right, I'm going to guide the boat so we go where we should have gone. Because Jesus has other ideas. A lovely and fertile land. And then this thought occurred to me. Verse 53, I'll read it to you again. When they crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. I think, and I think I've seen this in people's lives, sometimes in my own, I think sometimes we get confused about where to anchor. They could, they, when they got to where they were, they were going, it wasn't even where they thought they were going. They got to a, a lovely, fertile land. That's where they put their anchor down. But they could just as easily have been in the middle of the storm and thought, and you may have heard people say these phrases, well, I guess this is my life now. I guess this is it now. Might as well just put the anchor down here because this, this is where I have to live because this is just difficult, and I, I can't see an end to it, so I'm going to put my anchor down here. But that's not, that's not where we're supposed to anchor. We're not supposed to put our anchor down in the middle of the storm. We're supposed to put our anchor in Jesus, and then let him guide us to the end of the storm. They anchored when they got to, to land. So my question to us is, I do like to ask questions when I speak. My question to us is this, how do you respond to trouble? How do you respond to trouble? Do you put your anchor down and say, well, this is, this is my life now. This is where I live. All of these terrible things are happening. This is where I live. This must be something that I deserve. Do you recognize that? They were in the storm because they were obeying Jesus in the first place. So do you continue to press forward and to trust in Jesus? Are you tempted to just jump overboard and leave the boat where it is? That's it, I'm done, I'm out. These are moments where we have an opportunity to develop perseverance and to strengthen our trust in God and to say, this does not make sense, but I know who does make sense. And who knows why, and who knows all, and I'm putting my trust in you. There was a, I'm not going to tell you about all the difficult things I've been through in my life. That's, that's not what we're here. But there was another moment that happened, and I remember having a conversation with God. 
about why. I was asking the question why. Oh, it's so easy to ask why. And the reason we ask why is because we, f we think that if we just understand the reason, it will make where we are feel a bit better. Because at least we know why. There is a reason we know why. But if we know why, then there isn't any opportunity for faith because faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And if we know, then it isn't faith. And so I remember this difficult thing that I went through. Um, I remember asking questions like, why? And I got to a point where I was worshiping. And, and this phrase came out of my mouth. And I knew it was Jesus because it was a smart phrase. It was clever. And, uh, and it definitely wasn't me. And this is what I said in my worship to Jesus. And I wrote it down because I thought, man, that's you, Lord. I'm going to write that down. Knowing you is better than knowing why. Knowing you is better than knowing why. And that's what we have to hold on to. And when we find ourselves in a storm, that knowing him is better than knowing why. So help us. Help us, Jesus. So yeah, let's just, let's just bow our heads. <coughs> Maybe that you, you, your life at the moment is an actual storm. And you can't see the end. And maybe this for you today is to remind you that, that Jesus sees you. And just like he walked across the lake. Walked across the lake. No one had done that before. He did something no one had ever done before so that he could get to his disciples who were struggling. And there's no telling what Jesus will do to get to you today. No telling. Because you are his treasured possession. So it may feel like you're in a storm today. It may feel like you were heading one place and now it doesn't seem like you're ever going to get there. You're going to end up in a totally different place. I just want to remind you that Jesus was walking on the thing they were afraid of. And that he walked to them. And that he got in the boat with them. He didn't stand outside and give them directions. He got into the boat with them. And then they journeyed to the next place together. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.lifechurchwarranty.com.